Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians, to Galatians. Uh, Galatians is found in the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after Acts and Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, tucked in there before you get, however, to uh, 1st and 2nd Timothy, to Hebrews, and, and that part of things. It's a relatively uh, small book, just five or six chapters. Uh, right near Ephesians and Philippians, and if you need a, a Bible this morning, there's one on the end of your pew. We're going to be looking over after completing, and, I, and I'm thankful for Matt Redmond serving us last week by delivering God's Word and wrapping up our five-month series through the book of Joshua. We're now going to spend the next eight, nine weeks walking through really just one and a half verses of Scripture and some of the passages around it in Galatians, looking at the fruit of the Spirit how God works in our lives to bring that fruit about and what it means to keep in step with the Spirit so that that fruit is demonstrated for our good and for God's glory. So I invite you to stand with me. We're looking at just Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. I'll read aloud and you all just read along silently with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You may be seated. Oh, Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for this time each week, which is part of what I was just talking about a minute ago, uh, avenue for us to grow in truth, to experience and understand more of who You are and who You call us, invite us to be. And so we pray that You would strengthen us during this time in Your Word. Lord, that You would allow us to be planted deeply in You so that we might bear fruit, the fruit that flows from You, Holy Spirit, working in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, showing love is tough. This whole topic of love is tough, even sometimes when we're trying to do it. And you may have heard the story before of the little girl that was wrestling with this situation of showing love as she interrupted her teacher one day in her class at school as they were learning about whales. And she said, do whales swallow people? The teacher let out a, a long sigh and said, no, they are bigger than people, but they have Throat pleats that filter krill and plankton. Well, the little girl pressed the issue a little bit and said, but, but my Sunday school teacher said that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Well, wanting now to move on, the teacher was, was getting pretty frustrated, and so she said rather firmly, whales cannot swallow people. Well, the the young girl wanted to kind of graciously back out, lovingly back out of the situation. So she said, okay, well, 
you know, when I get to heaven, then I'll just ask Jonah if he was swallowed by a whale. Well, the teacher would not let this young lady have the last word. So she said spitefully now, what if Jonah went to hell? The girl paused, thought for a minute, said, well, then you can ask him. I'll put y'all taking a minute to get that one. I guess that one played good in the Peters family. <laughs> it's tough. It really is. On the serious side, to speak with love, to act lovingly, to think lovingly, certainly towards others, but also towards God who is the one who deserves and invites the fullness of our love. And so we want to talk today about what our passage really reminds us. And I'm going to zoom out a little bit from just the immediate verses here to see this main idea. And if you want to follow along in your worship guide, you can. There's a note section at the back of your worship guide. And it's just this main idea That because Christians, those who are in Christ, are freed in the Holy Spirit to become God's children, we should or or we can, however you want to put it, love God and love others. Now, we can't really begin to grasp the fruit of the Spirit, see it demonstrated in our lives or look even specifically at the one fruit we're evaluating today of love without understanding the, the soil in which that plant is rooted, the fertilizer that feeds that plant, the water that supplies it. And so I want you to see how right around this passage in Galatians, the Apostle Paul speaks to us of how that plant can grow and flourish so that we can see what's really going to drive the fruit of the Spirit. And this will be true, in a sense, throughout the summer as we take each week a different one of these virtues. But look with me back at Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And we see what I've called the, the soil that this plant grows in. And that is the soil of being adopted children of God, of having a new identity. Read with me. I'll read aloud. You all just read along silently. Galatians 4, verse 1 through 7 says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles Of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, 
than an heir through God. This new identity that we have in Christ because of Christ's righteousness, because of His free gift of salvation, a huge part of that is that we have this new status. We're no longer slaves. We're freed. And, and you can look. You don't need to look with me now, but you can make a note perhaps. John chapter 1 in the Gospel of John tells us a little bit more. How do we get into this situation of being adopted children of God? Verse 12 of John 1 says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name. He gave the right to become children of God. And then it talks, talks there about receiving and believing things we do, and then it talks about the things that God is doing behind the scenes. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's a gift that God's working in our lives to be planted, to have this plant in the soil of God's adopting love. Second thing we see about this plant is that it, it flows out of the, the fertilizer of the freedom that we have in relationship with God. Look with me back at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. For you were called to what? What do we enjoy as believers? Called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Gives this contrast of how we treat others in relationships or don't treat them depending on whether we're walking in the freedom of the Spirit. Well, what does it mean we have freedom? It means we've been freed up from having to live life just for self or just for our own pursuits and we can now begin to live for others. We can't do that unless we have the freedom of knowing eternal life is secured for us, of knowing that adopting love of God because otherwise we've got to always be looking out for number one. But when God's love comes in, it fertilizes that plant through the freedom we enjoy. Freedom to live for God. And then the water. The water that is a source for this plant to grow. Verse 16 of Galatians 5. We read this earlier for our call to confession, but read with me quickly through it again. But I say, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Holy Spirit, that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now before I read this list, notice, it talks about the Spirit versus flesh. In the Bible, the flesh is not really talking about just a physical stuff. It's a little confusing. That word's a little confusing. The flesh is all that's encompassed in our sinful nature. And you'll, you'll see that in this list because some of them are things that might have a physical side to them, but a lot of them are just internal attitudes, perspectives, thoughts. Listen to the list we read earlier. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Bits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The Apostle Paul saying the beauty of this plant 
this spiritual plant in our lives being rooted in the Holy Spirit is that now we have a new direction, a new power working in us that can direct us away from these things that are so destructive that destroy us, whether they're internal or external, to the things that God has for us. Let's talk specifically then, because I don't know about you, but I I struggle with all of these things. I struggle to remember my adopted status in Christ, that I have that new identity. I I struggle to really have freedom and recognize that freedom and and I maybe use, use my freedom to do everything else besides glorify God. I struggle to realize, hey, that freedom is for Him, to be used for Him. I struggle to remember each day to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, to enjoy that spiritual working in my life. But it gets more specific than that. When we look at our passage today and we realize we're, we want to focus in on this specific attribute of love that's supposed to flow out of this plant that's rooted in these soil fertilizers and waters I just described. And, you know, uh, I guess Forrest Gump, with his uh, limited faculties, concluded that he understood what love is, but uh, you and I today... I imagine, would confess together, however smart we may be, that we struggle sometimes to even understand what is love and how do I live that out. So one of the things God's Word gives to us is it gives us parameters, shows us what it means to love one another. And that's hugely important, especially in our world today where a lot of things masquerade as love, don't they? There's a lot of fake plants. We used to have one of those fake trees up here around here somewhere. But, you know, plants that are made out of plastic, they're not real. They're not growing. Well, there's a lot of fake ways to appear loving or seem loving, and our culture offers up a lot of those. It's interesting how easy it is to get confused between the real thing and to see one thing masquerading as another. Joan Mitchell was a lady who wrote into Reader's Digest, I think now a number of years ago, but she was writing about a memory from her youth. And she said this, My brother adopted a pet slinky when we were little, a pet snake named Slinky when we were little, whose most disagreeable trait was eating live mice. Once I was pressed, she said, into going to the pet store to buy Slinky's dinner. She said, the worst part wasn't choosing the juiciest-looking creatures or turning down the clerk who wanted to offer me vitamins to ensure their longevity. The hardest part was carrying the things out the door in a box bearing the words, thank you for giving me a home. You know what? Looks loving is not always loving. And probably one of the biggest ways, while certainly outright hatred uh, demonstrates itself sometimes in our own hearts and prevails in various ways in our world, but one of the biggest challenges in our lives today is this virtue, this attribute of tolerance being substituted for biblical love, for love that's guided by and directed by truth and what God says 
Well, we see all of these struggles with love and with this fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives. Certainly one other that I would mention, maybe you're not guilty of, is it just takes work to love people. To love God and to love other people. And I'm just lazy and don't want to do it a lot of the time. So we have those barriers. Thankfully, thankfully, it's the fruit of what? The fruit of you and me? The fruit of our initiative and capacity to live the way God wants? No, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's a work that God is doing in us. One member of our congregation mentioned to me a quote. I think it's from the pastor Matt Chandler this week, and I liked it. He said, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Did you hear that? It's okay to not be okay where we all are, but it's not okay to stay that way. And the fruit of the Spirit has that idea in it. The Holy Spirit's working in us, but it's directing us somewhere to yield some kind of life and attributes and way of treating and living with other people. Jesus talked about it in the greatest commandment. He said straight up, love is the centerpiece of the Christian life. Loving God with all your heart and mind, soul and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. This is the sum of the commandments. This is what God desires for us. So it's not surprising that it's top on the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Well, let's take a look then at those two components. If you're following along in your notes, we want to talk about what it means to love God. That's a, that's a huge one, but we'll at least take a stab at it today. The first thing we see in the Bible is that God Himself is love. So when we are seeking to love Him back, we're simply reflecting who He is. We're being who He calls us to be. First John, that's back towards the back part of the New Testament. And I'll reference a few passages in the next couple of minutes from there. So you might want to put one finger there. First John, really right before Revelation, you'll find it there. First John, it says in chapter 4, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and have, whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. So loving God flows out of the reality that God is love. That's part of His characteristics. Second thing we see about that love of God is that God loves us first. He's not just generically or generally loving, but He loves us in a very precise and specific way. Again, you don't need to turn there, but John and this is in the Gospel of John, not to confuse you all. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. God's shown us what love is, and God has demonstrated and proven his love for us in sending Jesus for us to be our life, to be our joy, to be our reconciler. A love that we don't deserve. And then, yes, God made us to love Him back. Deuteronomy chapter 6, all the way back in the Old Testament, 
The commandments that Jesus gave were a reiteration of the Old Testament command. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then back again in our First John passage, chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in Him. So we're supposed to be seeing who God is in His love, seeing His specific love in Christ, and then being redirected to, to yield up the things in this life and, and to have what uh, one of the Puritans called the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. That we're learning to love God and getting consumed with that and it's pushing everything else out that doesn't conform to walking in love, to walking in step with the Spirit. So that's part of love. That's part of walking in love. And just like you would probably, if you saw a family where the kids, the children, were not responding to the love that their parents give them. Their parents love them and they're not responding with love back, you would say, and I guess we all see that in our, in our families to some degree. But if it were extreme, you'd say there's something dysfunctional there. So too, for our spiritual life, if the love of God is not triggering at least some desire, some movement to love back towards Him, there's something awry. There's something awry. Well, the second big part of love is, of course, Loving others. You know, it's interesting, our, our church uh, leadership team, uh, elders, deacons, our staff, as we told you all a few weeks ago, uh, continuing to go through these monthly meetings, uh, mapping out, looking at the vision that God has for us as a church and specific implication, implications for that and next steps for it. And one of the things we talked about is our vision statement, grow in truth, live in community. You know, it's interesting because really what we mean live in community and having deep relationships with one another in our church family, we're really talking about loving in community. Now, we all thought that would be a little weird on a brochure. Maybe that could be misinterpreted. But loving in community, that's what we're doing. That's what the Lord invites us to. First Corinthians, maybe you've had it read if you're married today at your wedding or have heard it at other weddings. First Corinthians chapter 13 talks about Love and how we treat one another and the vital importance of it. The Apostle Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So, so if I have some special spiritual abilities, he's saying, but have not love. I'm a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and knowledge and have all faith so to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body up to be burned, so a sacrificing mentality, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then it says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That's that collision between truth and love and the tolerance of our day right there. And verse 7, love bears all things, love believes all things, hopes all things, 
endures all things. A couple of real specific ways that this can be lived out in our lives. One is that the Scriptures always teach that we're loving in both word and in deed. Loving in word and in deed. I like what Edmund Clowney says. I think it's in your worship guide. He says, The Gospel is the message of God's redeeming love in sending His Son into the world. Those who understand that love will be driven to share it. They will not only rejoice to sit down with other redeemed sinners in heaven's feast, they'll seek other sinners in Christ's name to call them home as well. As Christ was sent, so He sends them. And the dynamic of mission is the heart of the love of God. So part of loving others has to be that we communicate who God is. How He's working in our lives, even as just sharing our own story about how God's touched you and transformed you. But we don't leave it at that. We love indeed as well. We seek to serve, to move out of ourselves to give ourselves for others because of the love of God. Uh, I have probably referenced before, and maybe you've seen it, the comment from one of the Roman emperors. Julian was his name, and they had a tagline for him. He was titled Julian the Apostate. So you kind of see where he stood on spiritual matters. Julian the Apostate nevertheless said this about the early Christians. Nothing has contributed to the progress of the Christians as their charity to strangers. The impious Galileans, that's what he called them because they didn't worship all the Roman gods, so they were impious in that sense. The impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. When we live out love and we take it beyond the bounds of just the four walls of the church, it impacts the world. Even emperors see and notice. The last thing about love, and there's a lot more, of course, that could be said in this huge topic, but love involves risk, always, doesn't it? Even if it's just sort of giving up some time and energy or stepping a little bit out of our comfort zone, certainly that part of love that calls us to forgive other people involves a lot of risk. Because you're letting go of something that you sort of have against somebody else. You're releasing it. That's what that word forgiveness actually means. And that, that lets go of some, some power you've got, if you will. Or some grudge that you've got. And it's good for you. It's helpful. But it doesn't feel that way. Love is, is a risky thing. And I like what C.S. Lewis said about that. And I do think this is in your worship guide. I hope it is. He said, love anything... And your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket... Safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become in unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative, Lewis says, to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, 
is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers and frustrations of love is hell. Strong statement. But it's true. We think we can kind of protect ourselves, can kind of manage our relationships and manage how we relate to other folks, and it's a risk to move out and really begin to show love broadly and deeply to those around us. I feel it. I know you do as well. And let's take it one further step in a concluding statement from Frederick Buchner today because Jesus, you know, he just he sometimes got to stick that knife in there and just twist it around a little bit. So I'll pass it along today. He went as far as to say, and I believe it's listed in one place, at least Luke chapter 6, verse 32, that, hey, uh, tax collectors and sinners, they love people who love them. And he was kind of saying, hey, it's not a bad thing to love people who love you back, but everybody does that. It's not particularly noteworthy. Jesus went on and said that we should do something that I don't know how to do. None of us can do. I don't think in our own power or capacity it's got to be a fruit of the Spirit. And that is to love our enemies. To love people who are opposed to us that we maybe don't like. I know I've read this before. Frederick Buchner says this. A love for equals is a human thing. A friend for friend, brother for brother, it is to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely, this is compassion. It touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail. To rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich. The world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there's love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love, and it conquers the world. Let's pray. Oh, Father, our hearts are warmed with thanks, with encouragement, and with love back to You because of the majesty of the love that You have chosen to show to us. A love we don't deserve, a love that we often push away, in fact. And yet you continue to pursue us and be gracious to us. Praise you for adopting us into your family. Praise you for giving us freedom to be released from just living for all these things that ultimately destroy us. Praise you, Holy Spirit, for watering and nurturing this plant of the gospel in our lives. And we ask, Lord, that you would bear fruit, bear fruit of love in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.